Hey everybody, welcome to the Jacob 12 podcast this week. You know, one of the big questions we have when we start studying the Bible is what in the world are we supposed to do with all those rules, regulations, and laws in the first part of the Bible? Well, this week we are going to study how we're supposed to use those and we are going to have our minds blown when we see God's plan to reveal who he is, reveal how we're supposed to live, and what his plan is as we look at the word and the law. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the second grade, and I was kneeling. And it was in church, and it was my first communion. And I can see the priest's face and bringing the communion host to me. And I remember being surprised how emotional I was as a second grader. And I remember that that was one of the first times that I felt an awareness of God. And I felt inside of myself this deep desire to know who this God was and and to be close to this God. And that something in my life was vacant, was needing, was lacking that I believed only God could fill. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I still feel that way. I want to know God. I want to know about him. I want to know who he is. I want to be closer to him. And and, and I never want to lose that edge, that passion. I need to warn you today, uh, two things. One, my head and my heart are so full with what I want to show you today that I I just might explode on stage. It just might happen, all right? And the second thing I want you to know is that we're kind of again in the deep end of the pool here, church. So, 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 so we're not spoon feeding today. We're giving you some meat today. And so stay engaged, stay, stay focused. Because here's the deal. The things that we are talking about could change profoundly how you look at major portions of the Bible that for right now for you are unexamined, are dark, are confusing. And within those parts of the scripture are deep truths about who God is and about what his plan is for the world and for you and and how you can have a deeper and more abiding relationship with him. Now, we're in this series called Unsettled. You know, we're in the wilderness. Uh, That story time between the time when the children of Israel left Egypt where they were slaves and they were freed from their slavery and it took a 40-year journey to figure out what it meant to live free. And in that story, we see all kinds of parallels to our own life of coming to know the freedom we have in God. And yet, it takes almost a lifetime to figure out exactly how am I supposed to live in this new and incredible freedom. And one of the big questions we've been asking, we want to ask, is this question. It's the question, how can I know what God is like and what he wants me to do so that I can have a relationship with him? And and that was that question for me that started coming alive in the second grade that that still is a a driving question. And and, and in the wilderness wandering, we've learned a lot of things. But today we want to talk about something that God gave the children of Israel and God's people even today in the wilderness that is designed to speak to this question. And, And the thing he gave them is called the law. The law. Now, now the first five books of the Bible often are called the law, uh, but but specifically, I'm talking about that part of those five books, which makes up a major portion of it. That when we read it, it looks like a bunch of rules. It, it looks like a bunch of you know, don't do this and do this. And to be perfectly frank, some of them are just weird. Right? There are things about cleanliness. There are like two whole chapters on mold. 
I mean, it's just a strange stuff. And we read that and we go, what in the world of this? Why did it make the Bible? Why in the world is this here? But what we're going to see today is actually you cannot really understand Christianity and you cannot really understand even who Jesus is without having an understanding of what's in this thing of the law. So, so, so today we want to understand the purpose of the law. And understand, this is why God gave originally the children of Israel the law. The law was intended, now you see the word intended, because just like we talked about in the priesthood a couple weeks ago, the law didn't fulfill its purpose. But the law had a secondary purpose That's just super important. So it was intended to teach the nature of God. That is to say, every time you read one of the laws in the Old Testament, you should say, what does that tell me about God? What does that reveal to me about his character? Because listen, the nature and character of God is the basics of all morality, all ethics, and informs you how you should live. What is good? Well, God is good. And so the way he is, the way he acts, the way he presents himself, that is what we aspire to. That's where we get our morality. That's why this world's so adrift. It's because they have no basis. We have no basis outside of God for any kind of morality. And so the nature of God is revealed. So if God teaches us a lesson about helping those who are weak, what does that teach us? It teaches us that he's compassionate, that he's kind. That he's merciful. And so the laws tell us something about the nature of God. And it also is to instruct us and equip the people of God to live a right life, a righteous life. And primarily, Jesus summed it up. He said the law can be summed up in two righteous things. How you respond to God and how you treat people. A righteous life is boiled down to that. And the law is full of insight about what that looks like. And it's supposed to equip us to live a righteous life so that, so that we could have a proper relationship with each other and with God. And so the law was given to this people. Now understand that when the children of Egypt rolled out of, of, of uh, the children of Israel rolled out of Egypt as freed slaves, they had no understanding. They had no worship. They had no social structure. Think about this. They had no police force. They had no prisons. They had no social services. They had no ability to tax. They probably didn't even know what taxes were. They had no idea how to be a people. They didn't understand about cleanliness and what it would like to have hygiene in the middle of the desert with with all those people. And so they needed a structure to live and they needed a moral framework. They didn't know what it was like to treat people well because they'd never been treated well. They they didn't understand, you know, what it was like to be free and if, if, if there's slaves among them, how are they supposed to interact with them? They didn't have proper relationships between men and women. And so all of this is the seeds of of what we believe today are all laid down in the law. Now, there are three kinds of laws. This is just a quick deal. The first are religious observances. This has to do with feasts, and there's seven different feasts. It has to do with sacrifice, seven different kinds of sacrifices. It's the tabernacle, it's the altar of covenant, it's the priesthood. And within all of these religious observances, we learn things about God and about the nature of how God's going to bring redemption through Jesus Christ. Now, the second kind of law are cultural laws. Now, cultural laws were things that were specifically given for them to help them to live better and in a holier life. 
to, the, the Bible says, to separate them from the other people, the other tribes who lived in very unhealthy ways, who were very violent, who, who were very unclean. And so it had to do with things they were supposed to eat, things they were not supposed to do, uh, uh, cleanliness. It had to do with even rules about how to handle dead things and living things so that they could be a healthy people, so that they could have a society. And it was meant to set them apart from other people. Now, the third kind of law were moral and ethical laws, like the Ten Commandments, you know? Don't cover your neighbor's wife. If, if you're, you're asked to give testimony, don't lie. You know what? If, 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 if someone has something you don't want, don't kill them to take it. To, to, to understand what it meant like to be in moral relationships. And so many of the rules that seem so obscure are actually laws that were intended for us to understand the nature and the character of God. Now, now maybe if you've been around church for all, this is an important point. You've heard maybe about the law, and you've heard about the Old Testament law, and, and you heard maybe a pastor or preacher say sometime, particularly looking at the New Testament, says, oh, you don't understand, the law didn't work, and therefore, we don't have to pay attention to it. The law was a bad thing. It was a curse. And, and so here's one thing I just need you to understand really clearly. Are you going to give yourself permission to ignore like 30% of the whole Bible? Okay? This is what you need to understand. The law is good. The law is good in that... It reveals the nature and character of God. It gives us all kinds of insights about morality and about ethics and about how we should look, live. The law is good, but we also need to understand that the law... Well, here's a verse that says the law is good. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So, there's something about the law. Listen now. When properly used, it can revive the soul. There's something about the law that, that, that can actually make the, the, the simple wise. It can teach you what wisdom looks like. And so the law is of itself good. But here's the important part you need to understand. Important distinction. That the law did not accomplish its purpose. If the law's purpose was to reveal who God was, teach the people how to live so they can have proper relations with each other, it did not work. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the law. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, he's talking about the law, he says, we had the law, but we were living in the flesh. That is to say, in ourself, in our weakened human condition, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members bearing fruits of death. So this is how it kind of worked. The law was good, it was righteous, it was pure. And when a person applies it in their life in a holy, healthy, just a really good way, it makes them a good person. It makes them, you know, uh, a holy person. But here's the problem. We're not good people. It's like trying to take something good and put it into something broken. So imagine you have this, this beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, a beautiful uh, a pitcher of lemonade. And you pour it in the glass only to realize the glass is broken. Now, is the problem the lemonade? No. Imagine that you had a computer software that you have designed. It's going to be awesome. It's going to change the world. But you put it in the computer only to find out that computer has a virus. And the virus is messing up your software in the worst way. Imagine you're making a cake and you put all the beautiful ingredients, the best ingredients, only you did not realize that the milk you put in and the eggs you put in were spoiled. 
And so now the problem isn't the ingredients except for the milk and the eggs. And that's exactly what happened with the law. That, that because of sin, because of Adam and Eve, because of all that, our flesh, the Bible says, was weakened. And our sinful passions became aroused by the law. So instead of the law being something we say, okay, this is the nature and character of God. This is how we lived. And so, man, I'm going to do that. That's who I want to be. Instead we say, okay, it's a list of rules. And, and listen, this is important thing. The rules were outside of us. And so, so this is a list of rules, okay? I'm going to try not to steal. And yet I have all this desire to steal. You know what? I'm going to try to be faithful in, in, in my marriage. Oh, but you know what? There's all this other stuff that's going on inside of me. And so what the law actually did, rather than empowering us to live a righteous life, it revealed that we couldn't lead a righteous life. And so the the first purpose of the law was foiled, it was frustrated, it was broken, it was difficult. And then Paul says, because of that, because all the law did was show me what I was doing wrong, he says the law became a curse to me. The law became something that was horrible to me. He said, I actually could fool myself for a while. He said, because I I worked really hard, and the Jewish people, even to this day, work really hard to study the laws and know the laws. And they have laws that they've added to the laws so that they can obey the laws. So, for instance, the Sabbath. You're supposed to keep the Sabbath. And say, okay, just to make sure we keep the Sabbath, let's make all kinds of rules and say, okay, on the Sabbath you can only walk this far, and you can only cook this much, and you can only help a sick person if they're going to die. But if they're not going to die, wait till the next day. If your animal falls in the well, well, you can help the animal in these kinds of conditions. And so they did all this work to try to show that these laws that were outside of themselves were something that they could follow. And it made them miserable. And the Apostle Paul had fooled himself into thinking he was doing a good job with the law until he came to that command that said, do not covet. Because here's the deal. Coveting is an issue of the heart, right? And so he said, I did all the external stuff, you know, but my heart wasn't in it. He said, but when I came to that thing of thou shalt not covet, I looked inside myself and I found every kind of covetous desire. I was jealous and selfish and petty and it was all there. And so the law, which was meant to be a blessing, became a curse to me and I was stuck in this do more, try harder kind of cycle. So what Paul is talking about when he talks about the curse of the law, he's talking, listen now, he's talking about the curse of the law being a curse as a means of personal righteousness to God. And so what happens then is the law becomes a trap rather than something that sets us free. Now what we need to understand is that God knew that was going to happen. And so he had a secondary purpose of the law. And what that was was to teach us what sin was. Because we have the incredible ability to rationalize what's right and wrong. I don't know if you do, but I do. I can take the most selfish, twisted, carnal, fleshly thing I'm doing... And I can rationalize it. I can say, I'm better than that guy. It's not so bad. I'll make up for it. I'll do some other thing. But the law, the rule of God shows, no, that's just not right. And and it's meant to bring us to the point where we say, goodness, I have sinned. I'm broken inside. And there's nothing I can do to live up to it. Because even when I try to live up to the law and righteousness, I mix motives. It's just a terrible thing. And so the secondary purpose of the law is to reveal to us what sin is so that God could show us a new covenant. A new covenant where the law is actually in our hearts. Now the word covenant here, incredible word, incredible biblical word. It means terms of relationship. And so marriage is a covenant. It says we're going to get together. Here's the vows. 
here's what marriage looks like first. We've made a covenant. You know, church is a covenant. When you become a member of a church, you say, I'm going to enter into the church covenant. This is what it means. This is what we believe. This is what we do. This is how we're pursuing, pursuing Jesus. It's a covenant. But the original covenants are a covenant between God and man. Now, the Old Testament covenant with Moses was based on the law. And basically, it was God saying, you follow the law, we're going to be good. You don't follow the law, not so good. It was, a, it was a covenant of perfection. And because we couldn't live up to it, we were constantly striving with God. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you're saying, why are these people constantly in trouble with God? Well, because it was a good covenant trying to be lived out by broken people. It was people who, listen now, this is so important. People who had bad, wicked, selfish hearts who were trying to do good things. That is a miserable way to live, by the way. To be broken and angry and selfish inside and then try to do something that you really don't want to do. It's really not who you are. And, and righteousness is not who we are. And so what's needed now is a new covenant. Now, now, after the law was given, hundreds of years go by. And again, these prophecies should blow your mind. This is why I believe in Christianity. Nobody could make this stuff up. Because we're talking about hundreds of years separate, different authors, middle Bible, beginning Bible, end Bible, it all just comes together. It's just the most amazing thing. And this goes back to the prophet Jeremiah. Look what he says. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, where I'll make, look at this, a new relationship, a new means of coming to God, to having a relationship with him, a new way to not only know the righteous things I should do, but actually have the power to do them. Did you hear what I just said? Because Christianity is not just getting your sins forgiven. Christianity is a radical transformation from the inside out, where we're changed from bad people trying to do good things to people who are being transformed to be good people from whom which good things naturally flow. I do good things because I am being made good. That's the thing about the new covenant. So he says there's a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He says, not like the covenant that was made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. It's not like the old covenant. Look at this. It's so good. Verse 3. He says, for this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put, look at this, I will put my law, so the truth, the right way of living based on the nature and character of God, I will put it within them. So no longer are there bad people trying to do something outside of themselves, bad people trying to do good things. Now the law is put in them. I will put the law within them and I will write it on their hearts. So what I'm talking about is a radical transformation where the good that we do is a natural result of who God is making us. And that's one of the signs that your Christianity is real, is that there's a transformation that's taking place. Now, I don't mean you accept Christ and you become perfect and Mr. Wonderful, but I mean that you're starting to notice a change. The change at first may look hard. So, for instance, you come to Christ, and all of a sudden you realize things that you used to do that didn't bother you start bothering you. So now when I lie, I don't feel right about that. Now when I, I do something immoral, you know what? I, I don't feel good about that. Many people come to Christ and they're living together and in a, in a relationship that God clearly has said is, is not the right thing to do. And then they come to Christ and they go, you know what, this is not right. And all of a sudden, conviction comes and they recognize that, that I'm being changed. And then the other thing that happens, you know what, I, I never used to like to do this thing of serving and now I like serving people. And you know what, I never was bothered by this thing and now I'm working for this thing that bothers me to bring good to it. And all of a sudden, I care about things I don't care about. You know what has happened is the law of God is being written 
on your heart. You're being transformed from the inside out to become a good person from whom good things happen all the time. And what happens? He says, when that happens, I will be their God and they will be my people. I'll have a relationship. Now, this is the prophecy of Jeremiah. How did he pull it out? Spoiler alert, it's Jesus, all right? The living word of God. Now, this is so incredibly cool. The living word of God is Jesus. So often we talk about the word of God, believe in the word of God, love the word of God, and what we think of is the Bible that was originally written on stone and paper. But the best revelation of God, hear me, some of you are going to just get upset, you're going to think I'm a heretic, but this is just God's word, I'll show you in a minute. The best revelation of God is not the law. And it's not the Bible. Now, I love the Bible. Believe the Bible. You know me. I'm the Bible guy. But if your means of understanding God is primarily the Bible, listen, you can make the Bible an idol in your life if your Bible doesn't leave you, lead you to the living word of God. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus and the living word of God. Very first thing he says in the Gospel of John, one of four Gospels, those are the biographies of Jesus, this is what it says. It says, in the beginning, the word was the word. And so what's the word? It's another name for Jesus. And so whenever God gives Jesus a name, and he has like 200 names, he's trying to say something about Jesus. And what he's saying about Jesus here, many things, is logos, so many layers of meaning here, can he begin to get to it? But one of the main things for our purposes that he's wanting to say is that this is what I'm trying to say. When I say Jesus is the word, he is what I've been trying to say all along. He's been what I've been trying to take you to understand in the prophets and in the law and in my creation. The most clear manifestation of what God is like, what's important to God and how we should live is the living word. And the word was with God. So he's way back in Exodus. He's way back in creation. Listen, when you start recognizing this principle and you start reading the Old Testament through the, the lens of, hey, Jesus you start seeing Jesus everywhere. If you think Jesus just showed up at the beginning of the New Testament, you are completely wrong. The whole Old Testament was about it. Take a look. He says the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Now look at Hebrews chapter 1. So this is another important book. Hebrews is a book written to Jewish people who were meant to understand the Old Testament law. So the big thing was, this is a book written to the Hebrews who said, hey, listen, let me explain what the wilderness wandering is, then the tabernacle is, and the priesthood is. And what you need to understand about all of it is it's all about Jesus. He said this, very first thing he says in the book of Hebrews. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke and God speaks. He speaks written word, prophets, all kinds of things. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, so Moses was a prophet. He gave us the law, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all those guys. Verse 2, but in these last days, look at this. He has spoken to us by his son. So if you want to know what God is like, learn Jesus. Study Jesus. What was important to him? What was he like? What did he say? What are his commands for my life? How did he interpret the Old Testament law? You know why? Because, this is what it says about Jesus in Hebrews. He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And if you want to know the nature and the character of God, it is revealed most clearly in Jesus. You understand what the law is all about? It's all about the person of Jesus revealed. So, Jesus is the word of God. Now, now here, here's another important point. How did Jesus understand this? So if Jesus is the living word, what did he say about the law? This should blow your mind. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. 
done away with the Old Testament. Some of you practically have abolished the law. You never read it. You don't take time to understand it. You won't do the hard work of digging into it. And you are leaving so much on the table. There are things you will not understand about yourself, about God, about this world, about Jesus. If you're not willing to do some study of the law, it's hard work. But man, the fruit that comes from it is amazing. He says, you don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, but I have come, look at this, to fulfill them. And so one of the questions I ask every time I read one of the laws of God, indeed, anytime I read anything in the Old Testament, is how did Jesus fulfill this? What's the fulfillment of this? And so, for instance, we look at those different kinds of laws. We look at the religious laws, right? And we come to one of the feasts, say the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is when they sacrificed an animal, and the blood of that animal was was to cover the sins. And then Jesus comes along, right? And he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we don't do those sacrifices anymore. Why? Well, because Jesus fulfilled it. Every one of the feasts has to do with Jesus. One of them has to do with light. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You know, the priesthood, we had a whole message on that a couple weeks ago, all fulfilling Jesus. What about those cultic laws, those laws about, about how we're supposed to apply things and how they're supposed to live? Well, here's the deal. There's a lot of them about cleanliness. And so cleanliness and order is part of what we learn about God and taking care of things. And so in the New Testament, we are told not just to have clean bodies, but it's really important to have a clean heart and a clean mind. And so in Jesus, he doubles down and he tells us that this cleanliness thing is more important on the inside than the outside. And so he fulfills it. Well, what about these moral laws? Well, sometimes these are hidden in ways we don't understand. So for instance, there's a law in the Old Testament that says, do not move a stone in the middle of a field. Okay? And so the the external bad person who's trying to do the good thing says, okay, well, I guess that's a rule. Is that all stones? What does he mean by the stone there? And so is there just a moratorium on all sorts? What's going on there is that's a reference to a boundary stone. The whole idea there is that once you get your land divided, you've got a boundary stone. Don't just come and say, you know, I'd really like that road. Kick that a little bit. Next day I'm going to kick a little bit more. Next day I'm going to kick a little bit more. I'm pretty sure I own the road. Why? Well, there's the boundary stone. It, it, the boundary stone, boundary stone. And so... That's forbidden. And then the person who is wicked and really wants the road says, okay, all right, I know the law says I can't move a boundary stone. But what if I dig a trench and it rolls there on its own? Or what if I get one of my slaves who's not an Israelite to move it for me? Or I work on an agreement where someone else does it where I don't technically do it, so I'm not unrighteous. But at the end of the day, I get the stone moved. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus would say, okay, what does that law tell us about the nature and character of God? It tells us that God is truth, and he values honesty, and he, he believes in justice. That's the nature and character of God. And then, how did Christ fulfill that? Well, he came to show us a better way, a more just way. And so how do we apply that law? We say, you know what? That's not about a stone. It's not even about property. It's about honesty. It's about justice. It's about righteousness. And so now, because I'm not supposed to move that boundary stone, I need to apply that broader in my life. So when I'm doing my taxes, and I have this opportunity, if I just do this little thing that's not true, little cheating thing, I'll get a big return. And then we say, that's a boundary stone. Oh, you know what? I'm in business. If I just take this one shortcut, I'll actually get more profit than I deserve and more than we agreed on, and, and I'm going to harden my heart, and they don't deserve it, and they'll just waste and all that. And all of a sudden, we move in boundary stones. 
You know what? If I just tell this one little lie in this relationship, I'm moving boundary stones. And do you see what I'm saying here? This simple little one verse that we would read over and not take the time to understand. We understand what's the nature of character of God? What's the principle? And how did Jesus fulfill it? It changes the law and it starts coming alive. When you start seeing how Jesus fulfilled all of the feasts, all of the festivals, all the sacrifices, all of the priesthood, your mind will be blown. Your trust and your faith in the word of God will go through the roof. And your understanding of who God is and who you are will change you from the inside out. What else did Jesus say about the law? Look at this. He said this now to the experts in the law of his day. So these are people who have memorized the first five books of the Bible. So hung up, they're going to memorize it. They're going to come up with rules to follow the rules. He says this to them. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So you see their mistake? They thought by reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, working hard to follow the Bible, that was the source of eternal life. You see that? There are Christians who do that today. That's when the Bible becomes an idol. And the very thing, like the law, that was meant to be a blessing becomes a curse in your life. Do you hear me now? Okay? So he says, you think you have them by eternal life. He says, and it is they, it is these laws, these prophecies that bear witness about me. He said, all of that stuff was meant to bring you to me. He says, and yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And so there's a trap in making the law or any part of the Bible. You can do this in the New Testament. Just a list of rules where outside of yourself, you're trying to do more, try harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps in the most uh, useless ways. Look what Jesus said too. Now this is how it moves to your heart. Had a whole message about this just a couple weeks ago on the Spirit. He said, Jesus said this. He said, I, Jesus, will send him the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. So he'll tell you what's right and wrong. So you won't need a law. I mean, you need the law in that you, you read it, you understand it. But when you read it and understand it, the Spirit will convict you. Man, I'm moving boundary stones. Man, I've got covetousness in my life. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be changed. He will commit you of sin. And then righteousness. He'll call you and say, you know what? What if you replace the brokenness with this? What if you became a radical person of integrity in your business and how you treat your employees? What if you became a radical person in how you lead your sports team? What if you became a person of integrity in your sexual morals? Understanding that, that you, are, you are supposed to protect that as a trust given by God. It's an issue of stewardship. I can't go there. All right, so, so sin and righteousness and judgment. That is to say that there's a reality that will stand before God. And so because we'll be judged, we need to make good decisions now. And so the Holy Spirit, within relationship, makes the word of God, the law of God, not something outside of ourselves that we're striving to live up to in guilt and frustration, but instead it changes us from the inside out so that we start to become good people. Listen now, don't you want to be this? Good people from whom good things naturally flow. And more and more, I don't have to think about telling the truth because I've just become an honest person. More and more, I don't have to think about becoming not a lazy person because I understand what God says about work. There's tons in the law about work and understand the value and the blessing and the joy of work. And so I just work hard because it's a lot more work to be lazy. It's a lot more work to be lazy. And I I see the wisdom of God. It changes me from the inside out. This is what's waiting for you in the law of God. And so to set it aside, you'll miss Jesus so much wisdom. Look what he says. He says, and when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so now, we don't have a cold stone on paper. 
We have something being written on our hearts. And we need to engage in that process. We need to understand that process. We need to pursue that process. We need to quit, you know, focusing on externals and let God change us from the inside out. And so we need to come back and understand the beauty and and the value of the law, the spirit, and the word. The written law, the Bible, the word of God, the spirit, the spirit of God that we have to have a relation with, and the word of God, the living word of God, Jesus, who through what he did for us on the cross makes all this just a new reality. Listen to how Paul sums it up in Romans chapter 7. He says, but now we are released from the law. That is to say, a law is an oppressive, horrible, terrible thing of the curse. Having died to that which held us captive. Because they tried to live the law, it made them slaves, just became a curse. He said, so that we serve, look at this, in the new way of the Spirit. Somebody say, I don't really know the Holy Spirit. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Go back and listen to that message you gave like four weeks ago, something like that. New way of the spirit and do and not in the old way of the written code. That which was outside of us, that we couldn't do, that we didn't want to do, that just made us miserable. You see, we're under a new covenant. We're under a new way. And so to answer the big question, how can I know what God is like? How can I know how he wants me to live so that I can have a relationship with him? The answer is simply this. We know what God is like by learning about and living in relationship with Jesus. You see how that works? See how the word of God can come alive so that every time you come to really any part of the word of God, but especially the law, you ask yourself, okay, what does this teach me about the nature and character of God? And you're going to find that he's good, he's just, you're going to find that he's holy, that he, he doesn't suffer fools and he doesn't play with sin. You're going to find that, that he's slow to anger, abounding in love, he's compassionate. You're going to find all kinds, you're going to find he's generous. You're going to find, you say, that's who God is. And that's behind every one of these laws. Even some of the most harsh laws are actually rooted in the nature and character of God where he's fundamentally good. And so when you begin to understand, say, okay, then, then from that, what principle can I derive? And it might not be something like, okay, don't move rocks or keep this certain day strictly or, or, or follow this rule that doesn't even make sense to us anymore. It's saying, okay, this was about cleanliness of my heart and body. This was about holiness and how I deal with other people. This is about not oppressing the poor. This is about, and then, listen, now those principles go in our heart. And then you ask the last third question, how has Jesus fulfilled this? What did Jesus teach me about this? How did Jesus fulfill the priesthood and the sacrifices? And when you start studying that, just Passover. We're about to do Passover around Easter. Just to study that and see how every single step of the way is fulfilled in Christ. It's it's absolutely mind-blowing. And it should make your heart and mind sing. And so in the spirit of next steps, I want to call you to a couple things. I want to call you specifically in these next two weeks leading up into Easter to spend some time learning Jesus. You could grab the devotion on the way out. They're in baskets spread throughout the entire campus. If you're in the theater this morning, there's some right outside where you'll be leaving today. You know, you could use that. You could start saying, is it based on what we teach this weekend? The other thing you could do is you could ask a serious question about baptism. And so baptism class is coming up, and baptism is all about a relationship with Christ, that now that I have a relationship with Christ, I want to ask, you know, what is it he's taught me, and why do I do baptism? Well, because I want to obey Christ. And the third thing that you could do is something that I don't have a slide for, but I really want you to hear me, is you could learn Jesus over the next two weeks and even beyond in a couple ways. One way that's pretty demanding and requires some serious Bible study, okay? You could read the Old Testament law. And you could look at some of those laws and let the Spirit maybe have some jump out at you and you say, okay, what does this tell me about the nature and character of God? First question. 
What, what's the principle by which I want to live by that, that was originally intended by this? Some of them are hard to figure out. Some of them are just so clear. The Spirit of God will teach you. And then the third question, how did Jesus fulfill this? And just expect Jesus to show up everywhere. Well, he was the drink offering. And he was the atonement offering. And he was the great high priest. And he was the tabernacle and, and every part of it. He was the Ark of the Covenant. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When you begin to see it. And, 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 and so just look at that. And when you see that part of the law come alive, you could just really grow in an incredible way. Now, now if you're at the point saying, I'm not sure I'm going to do that, there's another way you could learn Jesus. And that's very simply read a gospel. And so the gospel I'm going to suggest for you to read over the next two weeks is the gospel of Matthew. Now, it's the longest gospel. I didn't choose it for that reason. Some of you said, you're just saying, making it hard. No, I'm not doing that kind of thing. There's 28 chapters in the gospel of Matthew. And so that basically means about two chapters a day. And so it's a bit of a commitment. But what I want you to do is I want you to learn Jesus. Now, the reason we chose Matthew is that Matthew was writing to Jewish Christians who were trying to understand this. So there are tons of little passages in there where we'll say, as it is written, or because the law says, or as Moses says, you should pay attention to that because it's showing you how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. And you could learn all kinds of things about about, about, about Jesus. Just the Sermon on the Mount alone in chapters 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' understanding of how the law of God is supposed to move into your heart. How it's supposed to change who you are. How, how, how the Beatitudes, it's, it's just, I, I can't chase it. so much there. But, 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 but you could chase it. You could chase it. You say, I, I just need to know more of God. So I come here and you tell me about God. Well, listen, I go and dig a well and get water and bring it to you. Dig your own well. Okay? Dig your own well. And so you could go and you could pursue Christ. You say with white hot passion, I want to know Christ. Because in Christ I will see the nature and character of God. I will see, see, see principles worth living. And with the hope of the Holy Spirit, that could change who I am from the inside out. Begin to make me in ever more degrees of, of, of power to become a good person from whom good things naturally flow. The transformation that is what it means to be a Christian. You see, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's all through grace. It's all in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, you are the giver of the law. The Bible says the law of the Lord is a delight reviving the soul. It is a blessing. It is, it is described as power. It gives, gives wisdom to the simple. And so, Father, I just ask forgiveness in my own life for giving myself permission to just set that aside, to make my pursuit of you casual. I, I, just, I just have not pursued that as I should. And so, Father, we as a people want to just come back and we just want to say, through your word, your written word, show us the nature of character of God, principles to live by, the fulfillment of Jesus. And then through the living word, Lord Jesus, will you send your spirit to teach us, to change us, to bring us a transformation that happens through your word. Father, help us to love your word, not because it's just a thing we should love, but because it is a pathway to you. It is a love letter from our Father, about his son and how we could be changed. Father, just help us to pursue you. May the law of the Lord become a delight for us this week. May it become something that revives our soul. And may you do it all in Jesus' name. Amen.